next on Contemplate. Our job is to proclaim the gospel. Our job is to stand on the wall and blow the horn. Wake up. Wake up out of your darkness. Recognize who Jesus is. If they go, I don't go back to sleep. That's on them. As Paul gives his defense in front of King Agrippa, he pulls no punches, taking full advantage of this opportunity to tell the truth about Jesus. And there's a lot we can learn from his example. Here's Pastor David. These people, you know the Old Testament, King Agrippa, right? These people are saying that, that our hope is in this thing over here. They don't understand it. And I'm saying our hope has come, lived, died, and risen again. That's what Paul is saying to Agrippa. And he's saying, why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Because, of course, the Pharisees and many of the Jews were looking forward to a resurrection, right? To rise from the dead. That's what they were looking forward to. So he's saying, why would, why would it be so crazy that God would have brought Jesus back from the dead? All right. Indeed, I myself thought, I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So Paul, this is the second part of his argument. He's saying, okay, I'm a Jew, the real deal Jew, old school styles. Second when I first heard about Jesus of Nazareth, I thought I needed to be against it. Just like these guys who are accusing me, I was just like them. And I was better than them at it. I was fervent, right? I was chasing people down. When people were being put to death, I was assenting to that. If you remember when Stephen was stoned, Paul was the one sitting there as people were putting coats at his feet, right? As he was standing there as witnessing, saying, yes, I assent to killing Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church, Stephen the deacon. Okay, So Paul was, was willing to see people dead, tortured, put in prison. It says that he tried to get people to blaspheme. He tried to get people to deny Jesus by threats, by force. He was chasing people from synagogue to synagogue, from city to city. He was very zealous, very zealous for that old school vision of what the hope was until something happened. While thus occupied... In other words, as I went from city to city to persecute these Christians, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. Now, we're going to get the third time that we see Paul explaining to someone what happened to him when he was confronted with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. So let's walk through his story. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, I've talked before about what the goads are. If, you, if you're in agriculture um, and maybe you have some oxen or something, you may know what a goat is. Okay, a goat is like a pointy stick, right? And you want the oxen who are in their yoke to pull things and keep moving and go the right direction, whatever. So you've got a pointy stick. It's really helpful for that. And poke, poke, pointy stick, right? And what happens is, as you can imagine, when you're getting poke, poke, sometimes you kick, right? And maybe you kick right into that pointy stick. Either way, you find out that kicking against that goad is not very helpful. 
You're stuck. You're in a yoke. You're going to do what the farmer wants you to do. It is a waste of your time, effort, and energy to kick against the goats. And Jesus is saying that to Paul. Paul, listen, you cannot stop what I'm doing. You cannot stop the life that I'm bringing, the light that I'm bringing into darkness. It cannot be stopped by you. And every time you try, as you go and you chase these people down and you do all these things, you're just kicking against the goads. But you're going to go where I want you to go. That's what he's saying. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So Jesus is saying, listen, you know, Jesus had his ministry. And then he went back and the Holy Spirit came. So that believers could, in the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, continue that ministry with Jesus' authority. Here he's giving Paul that authority, saying, I'm going to send you to the Jews, to the Gentiles, to minister, to continue the ministry that I started, to see the kingdom continue to spread. And he says this, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and, from the, uh, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's a powerful verse. We're actually going to come back to that verse. But this is a description of, of Christ's kingdom. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But that's what he's saying he's sending Paul to do, to proclaim this. The forgiveness of sins, right? Therefore, King Agrippa, Paul's talking again, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Duh, right? You don't be disobedient when Jesus comes and tells you to do something but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting repentance. So he's saying, look, I follow what Jesus told me to do. I went, I preached this. I preached the kingdom, the coming kingdom of God. I preached about turning from light to darkness, from the power of Satan to God. I preached about the forgiveness of sins that was offered, and I encouraged people, I exhorted people to repent, which is to turn from the way that they were going so that they could be going in the right direction. That's what I did. It says, for these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. It was for that. It was for me following what Jesus told me to do that I'm standing here, that I was seized by the Jews in the temple. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So he's saying, listen, God has kept me okay, which is a pretty significant thing. Because we know how badly these Jews, the leaders of the Jewish nation, wanted Paul dead. And somehow he's still living. And that's what he's saying. Hey, I'm still alive and living. God has protected me. I've talked to both small and all y'all. Right? You rich people, you rulers who are all still, I'm still talking. You might notice something about what God's been doing here. Everybody wants me dead, yet here I am continuing to proclaim the name of Jesus. And all I'm saying is what you know, Agrippa, what you know that's in the prophets, what's in Moses, what's in the, in the Old Testament, it's all talking about Jesus, that he had to come, that he had to suffer, that he had to die, and that God would raise him from the dead. That that's all there, and that you can know that if you study the Word. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. But speak the words of truth 
and reason. Now, I find this part interesting, as some of you might guess, <laughs> because this is not the last time that Christians have heard this, right? That believers in Christ have heard this. Festus is confused, okay? So let's just get with a couple things. Festus is confused about what Paul is saying. First of all, Festus comes into this region. He's told, hey, listen, these, these Jewish folks are not happy with Rome. They, they, they talk about this Messiah figure who he's always heard of as a warrior, somebody who's going to try to, to take take Rome out. And so you've had these false sort of people who have claimed to be messiahs and so on who have started battles and wars and, and out, you know, gathered people to themselves out in the desert and came against Rome and so on. So those, that's his mindset of what a messiah is. The idea of what Paul's talking about, that the messiah is going to suffer and die, that rise again is nothing he's ever heard before. Not to mention that bodily resurrection, what Christ promises us, a new heaven, a new earth, a bodily resurrection is not what the Romans were looking for. They were looking to be rid of the body. And so that also would have been crazy and confusing to Festus. He just didn't get it. He didn't get it. But let's not forget that the disciples of Jesus who had walked with him all that time didn't get it either when Jesus said he was going to suffer and die. Right? So it's not so crazy that Festus didn't get it. But he didn't. He didn't get it. And he's saying, listen, you're crazy. You're crazy. And Paul says, I speak the words of truth and reason. Right? And as I said, people still object the way that Festus did. Christianity is stupid. It's believing in fairy tales. It's, it's believing in some Bronze Age myth. And we are way past that. Hey, we've got science now. We know that virgins don't have babies and that people don't rise from the dead. They were dumb back then. And here is Paul. Here's the Lord speaking through Paul politely and calmly. And what he's saying through Paul then and what he's saying through his church now, we speak the words of truth and reason. We speak the words of truth and reason. See, they had science too. Believe it or not, they knew that women didn't have babies when they hadn't been with men. They knew that. They actually were aware of that. That's why it was a big deal. They knew that people didn't rise from the dead. They were aware that that's not the way science worked, okay, because science, right? People don't rise from the dead. And so it's not that they didn't know that. It's not that they didn't have science. It's not that they weren't smart. It's not that we think all of a sudden that, like, these things happen all the time or something. It's the amazingness of Christianity that these things did happen and that we have good evidence for them happening. Historically, that's the thing that's crazy. The thing that's crazy is that there is actually evidence that these things that science would say could never happen actually did happen around one person, Jesus Christ, Right? That is Christianity. We're not believing in Bronze Age myths. We have faith based on reason and truth, based on evidence. There are many infallible proofs that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And if not, what are we all doing here? There's a reason that we're here. We believe based on truth, based on evidence, not based on fairy tales. That's why we do series like the Skeptics Forum and Seeking Skeptics, which you guys can go to seekingskeptics.com if you've never checked out any of our work on that, where we talk through all these objections people have, where they say Christians are crazy, and what about this, and why do bad things happen to good people, and all the rest of that. We deal with those questions seriously because we are serious, as is Paul. Remember, he's not saying that, Paul, you're mad for any other reason but what? Much learning. He can see that Paul's very educated, very, very smart. And he's actually, instead of being able to say, you're just crazy, he has to say, I guess you're just so smart that you went the other way and went so smart that you got crazy. Because it was clear that Paul was well put together and very intelligent. 
And Paul calmly just says, no, I speak the things, these things are truth and reason, right? Then he says this, for the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing was not done in a corner. What's he saying? This wasn't some secret that happened somewhere. This wasn't done in some corner secretly somewhere. This was, everybody knows about this. Been to Jerusalem lately? There are thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians. There are hundreds of people alive who are saying they saw Jesus alive after he was dead. Different times and different places that they're all saying, this guy who was dead, I saw alive again. Now that's a lot of evidence. That's a lot of hubbub. This wasn't something done in the corner, and that's what he's saying about Agrippa. Festus, we don't know where he came from. We don't know why he thinks it's all crazy, but he's saying, listen, listen, listen. You can think all this is crazy. This may be your first time. Slow down. Ask Agrippa. He'll tell you all about what's going on. He'll tell you all about what's going on with this, with this Christian thing, with these people who follow Christ. And he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe so he's basically calling Agrippa to account, hey, you believe the prophets. You can go check out what I'm saying. You can see that the interpretation I'm giving to Scripture is correct. And you can see that it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. I think what he's saying is something like, you know, you think you can so quickly, and so that may be how your translation reads it, so quickly convince me to become a Christian. What he's really doing is he's actually shutting Paul down because it's getting close. He says, Agrippa, you believe, you know, I want you to think through it. And what's probably happening is the Holy Spirit is convicting, and Agrippa is getting, like Felix was, getting scared as he realizes, yeah, I, I have seen. Now, Agrippa would have been young when Jesus rose from the dead, but certainly he's been hearing about it for many, many, many years. And it's probably not the first time he's been convicted about it. And there's probably a reason he wanted to hear from Paul. He probably knew who Paul was, I'm guessing, or at least what he stood for. And so he, now he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa you, you, almost, you almost got me. Or you think you can get me so quick? That type of thing. But he's trying to kind of put a stop to what Paul's doing. He wants to stop the train because I think that Agrippa is starting to be, starting to feel convicted, maybe starting to feel convinced. And so Paul says this. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both, might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. He's saying, listen, I'm not making any bones about what I'm saying and why I'm talking. I want you, I want that dude and that girl and those dudes, I want everybody to be just like me, to be a Christ follower. Everything that I am sold out to Christ except for these chains, except for being in prison all the rest of it that I am, I want for you. That's what I want for you. There's no question. That's always been Paul's deal, right? Should be ours too. When he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. Now, what I don't see here is an altar call and a bunch of hands going up and a bunch of people saying, I'm going to follow Jesus today. And, I, and it's interesting because I think that, you know, we struggle sometimes when we witness for what Christ has done in our lives, when we witness for the resurrection, when we talk to people about Scripture, about Jesus, about the things that he's done, about who he is, and they don't respond, I think we get kind of bummed out, you know, kind of bummed out. But here's my thing. If Paul, Paul, can't get these folks to turn with just one, you know, one sermon, it's possible that you won't either necessarily, right? 
Here's the deal. Our job is to proclaim the gospel. Our job is to stand on the wall and blow the horn. Wake up. Wake up out of your darkness. Recognize who Jesus is. If they go, I don't go back to sleep. That's on them. That's between them and God. See, it's not your job to actually draw them. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's your job to speak. Paul knew that. What do you want? I want that you'll be just like me except for these chains, that you would know Jesus. What happened? They all got up and walked out. They didn't say, okay, tell us how to be saved. And they all got saved, and the whole Roman Empire got saved that day, and there's a big potluck. It wasn't like that. That's not what happened. They walked away. Paul doesn't know. Now, were there seeds planted? Certainly. Did some of these people maybe come to know Jesus later? Very possibly. In fact, some of these people may be the people that Luke talked to when he wrote this. Uh, we're also there. We don't know. But they didn't come that day. And so here's what I would say. You are called, like Paul is called here, to speak the truth, to witness for Jesus Christ. You cannot expect that every experience is going to be one of miraculous, of people just coming to know the Lord. That's a process. And if it does happen, it's Jesus. And if it doesn't happen, it's also on Jesus. Your job is to do your job. And Paul knows that well. And I think this is a good example of it, where these people leave. I don't think Paul went, oh, I'm so bad at this. I wish I didn't. Yeah, I don't think he did that at all. I think he was like, hey, I was faithful to my part. Now, God, you do your part. All right. So they walk away. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So he says, Agrippa and Festus and probably Bernice and maybe some of the men that were there, um, the other people, they're like, why is this guy in jail? He hasn't done anything. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's clearly just got a view of Scripture and so on that's different than these guys. This is nothing. This is not even a case. And then Agrippa says, yeah, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he could have gone. Now, that's not necessarily what Paul wanted or what God wanted. He obviously wanted him to get to Rome. This is the way he wanted him to get to Rome. So he wasn't going to be released. But you recognize that everybody, even the Romans, even Agrippa, so on, they all realized that Paul hadn't done anything. He hadn't done anything. So, what do we need to take from this? I mean, this is not that dissimilar from what we've seen Paul do already. And so you might ask yourself, why in the book of Acts do we see so stories that are so similar? Here's the first answer. Because it's what happened. Right, it's a history. Okay? Acts is about facts. It's not put together just to be perfectly excited and have everything be new. It's a history. This is what actually happened. Paul was before Felix. Then Paul was before Festus. Then Paul was before Festus and Agrippa. That's what happened. So that's what's there. Because Acts is about facts. Okay? But, but there's other reasons for it. You know, what, what is going on here? What is Paul talking about? What is he trying to show these people as he's talking to them? Let's look at, uh, at verse 18. It says, To open their eyes, this is Jesus talking to Paul, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There is so much happening right there. Jesus' mission to Paul, what Jesus is going to do through Paul. He's going to open people's eyes. He's going to turn them from darkness to light. He's, he wants them to receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by Jesus. Sanctified, made clean, perfect. Made perfectly clean by Jesus. An inheritance with them. That's an amazing thing. Truth is, Jesus wants that very same thing for you. 
Have you received his gift of new life? Don't wait another minute. Simply believe in him as your Lord and Savior. Ask him to forgive your sins, and he will. And then let us know, won't you? We'd love to help you get started in your new life with Jesus. Call us at 360-885-9000. For email, use info at axchurchnw.org. Or come see us this Sunday morning. AxChurchNW.org has all the info you need, and we would love to see you. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll be right here next time for part three in this study with Pastor David here on Contemplate.